Hello, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Points of Insanity Game Studios' Geekery in General podcast. I am Al, and flying solo today. The reason is because I've just been kind of busy lately, and sometimes I don't always have the time or the energy to arrange a recording session with one of my friends who's been helping me with uh, recording episodes. So today we're going to be doing something a little bit different, and maybe this might seem like something more appropriate for one of my quickie episodes that I do every now and then, but you know, I was thinking the other day, and I have a YouTube channel, because I do some episodes on video games, and I've also talked about video games many times on my show. So... Since I talk about video games a lot and I make videos about video games, I guess you could say I'm obligated to do a top 10 list. And maybe it would have been better to save this for a milestone episode like episode 150 or episode 200, but that would be cliche. And also, I guess top 10 lists have also become somewhat cliche go to YouTube or any website that has articles about video games or video game reviews, you're going to see top 10 lists. So rather than just do a top 10 list, we're going to kick it up a notch. And this list is going to go up to 11 with the top 11 things that I find annoying about old school video games. And of course, 10 points, or rather 11 points of geek cred for you if you know the significance of turning something up to 11. Now I should mention that I'm going to be focusing on old school games just because that's more or less what I'm familiar with. I mean, when I look at the games I like to play, I really don't get as much into a lot of the newer games. But also I want to make note that just because a video game uses some of these things that I'm going to talk about that I personally find annoying doesn't necessarily mean that it's a bad game or it's a game that I didn't enjoy. As a matter of fact, I'll be talking about several games in today's episode where I actually enjoyed it. It's just there were a few things that kind of annoyed me about the the game. And, and, and we're not talking about glitches here. These are intentional design choices that were made by the developers of the game. So let's get started with number 11. And we're going to get this obvious one out of the way first. And that is the unholy trinity of W's. Wind, water, and winter stages. Now, I like a good side-scrolling platformer as much as the next gaming geek, and I understand that you want to have variety. I mean, obviously, if the same stage is just jumping over things and trying not to fall into pits, that's going to get boring rather quickly. So, yes, I understand that the reason that developers will put these these uh, types of stages, the wind, the water, and the winter stages in is to add some variety and some new challenge to the game. So first, the wind stages. 
These are ones where you can see the wind blowing and the wind often changes different directions. So you have to be very careful when you are trying to make a critical jump in these stages because if the wind is at your back, you're going to jump further and faster and you might overshoot the spot you're trying to jump to. Or of course, if the wind is blowing against you, well, you're not going to jump as far or as fast and you might end up short. So these can be really annoying because you have to have really good timing and occasionally the game designers don't do a very good job at making a predictable pattern for the direction the wind's blowing. And sometimes they'll even have the wind blow from the bottom of the screen or from the top of the screen. Water stages are another one of those stages that some people really like, other people detest. And I think the reason that we usually hate water stages is it can break the flow of the game. A good example are the water stages in Sonic the Hedgehog, because you are moving a lot slower, and let's face it, the point of a Sonic game is to run as fast as possible. Another game where I really hate the water stage, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles for the Nintendo Entertainment System. Now in this case, it's not necessarily a pacing issue, because TMNT is not a fast-paced game to begin with. But still, just trying to maneuver through some of those areas and swimming, it, it, it can be very frustrating. And then finally, the winter stages. These are ones that incorporate snow and ice. So you'll be slipping and sliding around, or in some cases, you have snow that either slows you down or another example is uh, DuckTales. Now, in that game, Scrooge McDuck's primary method of attack is to do a pogo jump with his cane onto an enemy's head. And if he does that in the snow, he ends up getting buried waist deep, and it takes a little bit to get out. Now, I'm not saying that wind, water, and winter stages can't be done right. I do have to say that Super Mario Brothers did do a pretty good job at its water stages because the mechanics aren't too terribly different and you don't feel like you're moving significantly slower and you also don't feel like you have very little control over yourself, kind of like in the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, that, that damn, damn stage. Another thing that they did with some of the later Super Mario Brothers games, uh, specifically Super Mario Brothers Wii, for they did have a power-up called the Penguin Suit, which was cool because not only did it let you throw ice balls that would uh, temporarily freeze your opponents, but if you had the Penguin Suit, it made it a lot easier to navigate those winter stages. Number 10. Long games that don't have a save or a password feature. Some games that I can think of that are specifically bad and guilty of this would probably be games like Rygar and Super Mario Bros. 3. In my opinion, 
both of those games are way too long to comfortably play through in one sitting. I mean, even Super Mario Bros. 3, if you're taking the warp zones, it still takes a while to go through all those stages. I never managed to beat Super Mario 3 until I finally got the game on the Wii Virtual Console, because if I was tired of playing a stage, I could just create a save state, come back and play it again later. Couldn't do that in the original for the NES, of course. Number 9. Respawning Enemies One game that really, really grinds my gears when it comes to respawning enemies is Ninja Gaiden. I mean, I understand why they always put these enemies just on the other side of a pit, because they want to knock you into the pit so you die. But the problem with Ninja Gaiden is that Oftentimes, when you kill an enemy on the other side of the pit, well, chances are there's another enemy that's going to be coming up from behind. So what do you do? You turn around and face the enemy that's coming from you from the other direction. But because you moved that, that other side of the pit off screen just a few pixels, that enemy that you just killed on the other side of the pit, he's now back. Oh, and by the time you kill him again, there's something else rushing at you from the other side as well. Now, granted, I understand this is done for challenge purposes. One of the reasons that Ninja Gaiden is well-deserving of the, the, the title NES Hard. But come on, that just makes no sense. Another game that was terrible about respawning enemies, once again... Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles for the NES because you go back and forth between the stages and the enemies you just defeated reappear. But TMNT takes that frustration to a just a step further. And that is the enemies aren't always going to be the same when you come when you backtrack through the area you just came through. So that gets annoying because it can make it difficult to formulate a strategy. However, you can use that to your advantage. So if there's a type of enemy that you know is a bit stronger than the others, or maybe you just don't like fighting, well then you just keep going back and forth until it gives you enemies that aren't as bad. Now, there is a way you can do respawning enemies correctly. Let's look at Gauntlet. Now, in that video game, you have monster generators. So these would be things like, they look like a little building, or in the case of ghosts, it's a little pile of skulls and, and bones. That's where the enemies come from. And unless you destroy the generator, those enemies are going to keep respawning. I can accept something like that. It makes sense. Or what I've seen them do in some games, uh, Batman for the NES. Great example. There's these things that hang on the walls and they drop uh, little bomb-like things on you. Again, I can buy that because I can destroy that thing that keeps respawning the enemies. Number 8. Now we're going to talk about role-playing games for a little bit. And... Number eight is useful-sounding spells that rarely work. I talked 
many, many episodes ago about this website, the grand list of video role-playing game cliches. And one of the things they had in there was the Law of Spell Equilibrium, which essentially stated that you will acquire useful-sounding spells like Paralyze, Silence, and Instant Death, but you will never use them because, one, most normal enemies can be killed with a couple hits from a weapon, which makes fancy attacks unnecessary, two, such spells usually don't work on bosses and tougher-than-average enemies, and three, most of the time they don't work anyway. And I have to agree with this, because in, like, Final Fantasy, you know, you do acquire silence and sleep and a hold and these other spells that are meant to paralyze or stop your enemies. But again, they usually don't work. And as that Law of Spelly Equilibrium put it, they generally only work on the weak enemies. And by the time I finally do get sleep or paralyze or silence to work on the enemy, well, my uh, characters that are more that inflict more melee damage, they probably could have killed it in a much quicker time than just sitting there hoping to eventually instantly KO the enemy with a death spell. Number 7. And while we're on the topic of Final Fantasy, one of the other annoying video game design things that really annoys me and frustrates me is when they don't give you the best weapon until almost the end of the game. Now look, I know why they put the more powerful weapons later in the game, because if they gave you the best sword in the game, after playing the game for 30-40 minutes, it's going to make the rest of the game too easy. So of course, the game designers have to gradually build upon what weapons you're getting and what enemies you're facing. So eventually you're going to get to the point where the enemies you're fighting are too strong for your current weapon, so you either have to find a better one or you have to go to the weapon store and buy a better weapon. But it really annoys me when they save the best weapon for the last possible moment. Now, Final Fantasy. There's two weapons I remember from that game. The Katana and the Mass Mute. The Katana was the best weapon that the Ninja could could use. And as I recall, it was actually the... The Ninja was the only one that could use a Katana. The Mass Mune was not only just a really powerful weapon, but it was one of the few weapons that any character in the party could equip. But you don't get it until you get to the Temple of Time, where you're really close to the end. So if you wanted to use the game past that point, you had to pretty much exit, save your game, but then that meant you'd have to go back into the tower and refight all the bosses and all the enemies that you just defeated. And it's not like they saved all the best weapons for the last. I mean, you could actually get Excalibur, the best sword that the knight could use, a little, I think it was like a little bit uh, past the halfway point in the game. So you still had plenty of time to play with that weapon. Crystallis 
is another Nintendo Entertainment System game that is guilty of this. Now, through the game, you have four swords you get. The Earth Sword, the Water Sword, the Wind Sword, and the Fire Sword. And part of the challenge of that game is there are certain enemies that are immune to certain types of weapons. So let's say you've got the Fire Sword equipped. If you attack an enemy and all you hear is a little ting, it means that enemy is immune to the Fire Sword, so you have to equip a different sword. Well, near the end, you get... I don't remember the name of the last sword you get. It, it may have actually been Crystallis, but not only is it powerful, but it shoots this huge bolt of energy that makes the game a lot more fun to play. But you don't get it until you get to the last stage, so you only get to use that sword for a few minutes. Kind of a cheap move, if you ask me. Number six. Games where your life, the number of hit points you have, slowly depletes with no logical reason. Good example would be Gauntlet. Now, in the arcade version, I can understand why they did that. It's an arcade game. They want you to pump as many quarters into that game as, as, as you can. So by having the your life slowly go down... Not only did it serve as a time limit of sorts, but it made you realize, hey, you gotta, you know, go find some food, and you gotta be careful not to accidentally destroy it. And of course, if your life got low, just pop in another quarter, and you get a few hundred more hit points, and hey, you're good to go. However, there's some games where your life slowly depletes for no good reason whatsoever. One game I can think of was Dragon Power for the NES. Now, a little fun fact for you. Dragon Power is the American version of a Japanese game that was based off of Dragon Ball. And it's just at the time that they brought it over to the U.S., uh, Dragon Ball really wasn't as popular as it is now, so they figured rather than take this story that no one's going to know these characters, they made a lot of changes. I know Goku, his name was unchanged, and there were a couple other characters where their names were the same as well. But anyways, one of the things that made Dragon Power frustrating is that your health slowly decreased, even if you were just standing still and not get, getting hit by enemies. You had to find food to replenish your health. So not only did you have to defeat enemies and hope they dropped a life-restoring item, but sometimes you would just go into little nooks and crannies and find items there. Well, this brings me to number five. And that is when a game is stingy with health power-ups. Dragon Power was a good example because, again, your life was slowly depleting... And not only that, the game could be quite stingy with your, your the life power-ups. I remember there were so many times I played that game where I had just a few hit points left, and all of a sudden an enemy drops a, a food item, and, well, by the time I get to it, my life meter reaches zero, and I am dead. Another game that was notoriously stingy with its health power-ups, but still a fun game, Journey to Silius. And again, I did an entire episode about how much I liked that game. 
So those two things, number uh, five and six there, really can make a game frustrating. However, it can be done right if, well, at least the part about uh, your life slowly depleting, if they give you a reason as to why your life is depleting. For example, if you're in a stage where there's harmful radiation or intense heat, I can accept that. But when your life slowly goes down for no visible reason, that's a bunch of bull in my opinion. Number four. Games that barely give you enough time to finish a stage. I'm not a big fan of games with time limits in the first place. But it really annoys me when they give you just barely enough time for every stage. A good example I can think of is, again, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the dam stage. That underwater sequence, you're given two minutes, which, if you don't really know what you're doing, and even if you do know what you're doing, that's barely enough time to get to the end. So unless you're some totally awesome god gamer, chances are you're going to finish that game with about three or four seconds left. Another game that just barely gave you enough time, Street Fighter 2010, another one of those NES hard-type games. Uh, Ninja Gaiden, I believe, had a few stages where the, the time limit they gave you was just barely enough, and that was complicated by the fact that, as I said before, you could sometimes be stuck trying to cross a pit because you have to keep killing enemies that are respawning. Now, it is okay if it's done for the right reasons and very sparingly. good example would be Super Mario Brothers. Now, I remember, I think it's like World 8-3 in Super Mario Brothers 1. It's a very long stage, and if my memory serves me correctly, I think there's only one power-up in the stage. But again, they give you just barely enough time to finish that stage. So that, again, I can accept. But when it gets to the point where almost every stage, I'm getting through it with three seconds left, even if I know what I'm doing, okay, then that can get quite annoying. Number three. When it seems that enemies are always just barely out of the hitbox of your weapon. I'm looking at you, Castlevania. In the first three Castlevania games, your character was using his whip and he could only attack left or right. And that could be really tricky when you had enemies like the Medusa heads that flew towards you in a, a wavy circular pattern. And uh, in Castlevania 3, I know when you got to the second quest, there were enemies that had very erratic movements. And again, since you can't attack up with your whip, it can make it very tricky to get some of those flying enemies. Now, they did fix this, though, in Super Castlevania 4. One of the things I loved about that game was the fact that you could whip in all eight directions. And not only that, if you held down the attack button, your whip went limp, and you could shake it around, which 
didn't really do much to hurt enemies, but it was very helpful for blocking fireballs and incoming projectiles. Number 2. Now we move on to the realm of street fighting games. Remember back in the, I think it was the early 90s when Super Street Fighter 2 became really popular and it kicked off the street fighting uh, genre. Now, of course, there were street fighting games before that, you know, one-on-one fighting games like, well, the first Street Fighter and, let's see, also Karate Champ is another one that I can remember. But Street Fighter 2 really brought that genre into the foreground. And it seemed with almost every one of the Street Fighter clones, as well as Street Fighter and Fatal Fury, uh, World Heroes, they each had the grappler character. Like, Street Fighter had Zangief, Fatal Fury had, and the later King of Fighters, they had uh, Raiden, who was later known as Big Bear, and then uh, World Heroes had Muscle Power, who was basically a Hulk Hogan ripoff. But all of these characters were, they were big, they were powerful, they hit like a ton of bricks, but they were slow, and they usually lacked ranged attacks. So this made it tricky to play one of these characters if you were fighting against a fast character like uh, Vega or Chun-Li. And it also made it really frustrating when you were fighting against a character like Ken or Ryu or Guile who could just spam you with projectiles from the other side of the screen. Now, I'm sure that probably is late in later Street Fighting games. Haven't played any of them, but I'm sure that they probably at least addressed that issue and gave them uh, some ways to cope with these fast and these projectile-throwing characters, but back in the day, wrestling characters were the kind of characters you played unless you either really were a glutton for punishment or you were playing against someone who was not as experienced and you wanted to give them a little bit of a chance. And finally, the number one thing that annoys me about old-school video games, and this is specifically for role-playing games, are random encounter rates that are just too darn high. Now, I get it why they put the random encounters in. Some people don't like it because it artificially extends gameplay. I mean, for example, you might have a role-playing game where it takes you 20 or 30 hours to complete the game, but maybe only about half of that time is actually devoted to battles and mazes that are relevant to the story. Everything else is just walking around in circles until you got attacked by an enemy. However, some games, and I'm looking at you, Final Fantasy, sometimes the encounter rates were just too darn high. Final Fantasy IV was guilty of this, and its sequel, Final Fantasy IV The After Years, was extremely guilty of this. One of the things I didn't like about the After Years is not only were there parts where you couldn't take two steps without getting into an encounter, but 
half the time, the enemies either surprised you, or you were getting attacked from behind. Which, if you were surprised, of course that gave the enemies a few free hits on you. Whereas if they attacked you from behind, not only did they get one round of free attacks, but it also meant you had to have one of your characters use the command to swap the front row and the back row. Because the way that the Final Fantasy four games were set up is, uh, usually you wanted to put your weaker characters, like the mages, in the back row. And of course, when you're attacked from behind, well, you're putting those soft, squishy mages right in the place where the enemies can easily whip their butts. Well, there you have it, my first top 11 list, and who knows, maybe I might do another top 11 list somewhere in the future, depending on the feedback I get, or maybe if the mood strikes me, but... But with that said, I'd like to thank you for tuning in, and have a good evening, or morning, or afternoon, whatever it is, wherever you are, and happy gaming.